0: Well, we are back again, uh, back again to our one-service summer schedule, also back again for another summer in the Psalms. Uh, We will be in the book of Psalms through Labor Day, as we have been a couple of the, at least the last, I think two of the last three summers. And like many churches that want to ground themselves continually in the, the song book, the prayer book of God's people, Uh, We've discovered many churches are choosing to do that in the summer. Uh, It's a great time to explore the Psalter, and so that's what we're going to do. Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other book in the Bible. So you go through your New Testament, there will not be a book quoted more often than Psalms. So clearly, an important book for the New Testament writers, clearly a book that God is saying, I want you to be in, I want you to inhabit this prayer book. Uh, This morning we're going to begin with Psalm 3. It's uh, a psalm uh, where we've not yet been. I believe last summer we uh, were in Psalm 1, 2, 4, as well as many others. Uh, But today we're going to kick off with Psalm 3. You'll find it on page 448 if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you. Well, as I said, this is the prayer book of God's people. This is also the first actual prayer in that prayer book, the first actual prayer that we come to in Psalms. You see, Psalms 1 and 2 are an introduction to the Psalter. Uh, it, it's double doors, uh, the doorway into this prayer book. So Psalm 1, uh, we see that there are two ways to live. Two ways to live, and the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, as we go throughout the book of the Psalms, you'll hear the righteous spoken of and the wicked spoken of. This is not about the good versus the bad. Uh, The righteous are defined as people not charged with sin. And so the unrighteous or the wicked are those whose sin is still against them. So Psalm 1, two ways to live, the Lord knowing the way of the righteous, those who have looked to him for forgiveness. And then Psalm 2, one king, one king and ruler of all, the Messiah, God's Son, who is seated on heaven's throne, who is in complete power over all things, who is good. Well, again, Psalm 3, first actual prayer uh, within the Psalms. So, let's begin with prayer before we enter into Psalm 3. We come to you this morning, Lord, and we give you thanks for this prayer book, uh, for expressing the, uh, the, the full range of human experience and, and emotion, recording that for us in these 150 Psalms, that your people throughout the centuries could, could learn to sing these, could learn to pray. And we ask that this morning you would, Lord, teach us to pray. That you would open this psalm to us. That you would open us to your word. That we might see, that we might believe, that we might pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' Amen. So I invite you to hear the word of God, Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. The word of God, for our good, his glory, together with him for our joy. So what are you afraid of? What are those things in your life that cause you angst or anxiety? Maybe they're happening right now. Maybe you're worried they're going to be happening in the near future. What are you afraid of? And and, and what do you do when you're afraid? When, When fear wells up inside of you, what do you do? Well, let's see how David responds to fear. In Psalm 3, let's consider what he sees, what he believes, and what he prays. What he sees, what he believes, and what he prays. And so first, what David sees. Uh, Verses 1 and 2. I'll read those again. O Lord, how many are my foes! many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Many, 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 the triple exclamation point, many, many, many are my foes, many rising against me, many are mocking me. It's a desperate situation. If you just Take a look at the title of Psalm 3, the the biblical heading uh, that you have in in your Bible. It, It shows what that situation is. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so the backdrop here is from 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 16. Absalom's rebellion against his father, against King David. When David's son tried to seize David's kingship by taking his life, by taking David's life and that of his loyalists, David is in trouble. And to paraphrase Eugene Peterson, trouble triggers prayer. Trouble triggers prayer. David is in trouble. And David Is afraid. David sees, he sees many, many, many people against him. I mean, he has literal armies after him, rebels trying to kill him. But David sees something else. He sees into his heart and he sees fear. Now, I doubt that any of us will ever have many thousands against us, after us, trying to kill us. I hope not. Our circumstances will differ for sure, but we all face fear. Problem is, many, if not most of us, we don't really see the fear because most of us focus on the circumstance. But ultimately, it's the heart that matters. Circumstances merely reveal what's in the heart. David gets that. Do we? Do we get it? You remember the illustration with the the glass of water. If I hold up a glass and it's full of water and I shake it, what comes out? Water. Uh, Chocolate milk doesn't come out. Coke doesn't come out. Orange juice doesn't come out. Why? Because that's not what's in the glass. What's in the glass is revealed when it's shaken. And in this case, water is in the glass. And that's what comes out. And you see, when circumstances are difficult challenging, threatening. When our lives, when our heart is shaken, what's in there is what comes out. And what often comes out is fear. Now, many people, now both men and women, but especially us men, we often mask fear as anger. Because fear is weak, while anger appear strong. But deep down, it's often fear. I mean, think about it. Someone challenges you. They ask a question. And maybe it's just an innocent question. But it strikes a chord. It pushes a button. And what it does is it, it threatens your sense of self, your sense of significance. Because inside, you're, you're questioning, are they questioning my competence? And if we're honest, deep down inside, we're afraid that they may be right and we may be wrong. And that threatens us. It threatens us because we have mislocated our glory, which we'll come back to in a moment. But when our sense of self, our sense of significance is challenged, so often we respond in anger to that threat. But deep down... It's often fear. We're just afraid to admit it. David sees his fear. Do you see yours? Well, the most fatal fear for a believer, for a Christian, is to believe the lie of verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. And I like the way the NIV puts it. It it catches the nuance a bit better. God will not deliver him. God will not deliver. God will not rescue. God will not provide. It's not that God can't, but that God won't. Because deep down, the fear beneath the fear, the fear beneath the fear is that God is not good enough, powerful enough, Caring enough to bring me through my circumstance. God will not provide what I need. Will David believe the lie? Will you believe the lie? Well, David, he counters fear with faith. And that leads to our second point. Second, what David believes What he believes, verses 3 through 6. I invite you to follow along as I read these again. But you, O Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again again. For the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David is afraid, and he fights against his fear with a declaration of truth. Begins with a statement of truth. Verse 3, important verse. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Okay, very easy to miss, very easy to read over, but very important, the first word of verse 3. The word but. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Okay, well the function here, the word but, signals a turn. David is admitting that he is scared. He sees the fear beneath the fear. Is God good enough? Is He powerful enough? Is He caring enough? Will He bring me through? Will He provide? He sees the fear in his heart. He knows the temptation to believe this lie that God will not provide. And he does something about it. He turns. He begins turning to God. In essence, he is saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he begins with a declaration of truth. A profession of faith. Not necessarily a feeling of faith. It's not that he's just all of a sudden made this 180 and said, gosh, I was afraid. Now I feel no fear. No, he doesn't begin with a feeling of faith, but a statement, a profession of faith. He states what is true about God. Just like what we sang with Isaiah 43. When I, when I walk through the, the waters, the fire. Stating truth, hoping that his heart will catch up. Catch up and believe where there is unbelief. So let's take a look for a moment at this declaration of truth. This profession of faith. So again, verse 3. And I hope this is a verse as well as the whole psalm that will carry home with us today. But again, verse three. But you, the turn, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. So he begins, but you, O Lord, are a shield, a shield. You are my defender, my protector. Not with me, not for me, but about me around me, surrounding me, covering me. And when he speaks of a shield here, he's not speaking of the, the one-arm shield, the, the knight in shining armor. He's got his one-arm shield. His other arm has got a sword. He can swing with one and deflect with the other. No. He's talking about a big honkin' shield. I mean, this shield is the size of a door. Okay? We've got some big wooden doors in this church. It is the size of a door. Now, I remember, it might not have been the first time that I saw a shield like this, but I remember seeing it. I I was amazed. It was in the Academy Award winning film Braveheart. But the bad guys, the wicked, shooting arrows up into the air to rain down on the good guys. But they've got these huge shields that surround them, that they they hide under, and the arrows fall and are blocked. Now, we see it today, police in riot gear. Have you ever noticed those shields? I mean, they are head to toe, and they curve, they surround them, so that they can advance forward, so that David can advance, follow his king, while he is being protected by him at the same time. You are a shield about me. But you, O Lord, you are my glory. My glory. Now the word glory in Hebrew is kavod. It means heaviness or weight. Glory points to the substance of something. How weighty it is, how much it matters. And so David has this point of realization reminding himself that I am nothing in and of myself. I cannot stand on my own. But you, O Lord, you are my identity. You are my substance. You are my significance. In you, I matter. I have purpose. I have meaning. You, O Lord, you are my glory. And then... David rounds out this profession of faith. But you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. The lifter. Now, why would he need a lifter of his head? Because what happens when we're fearful? We look down. When we're afraid, we look down. We can't move. When my head sinks in discouragement and despair, O Lord, you lift me up. You are my courage. You are my confidence. You are my courage, you, my encourager. You speak courage into me. I think about my kids. Sometimes they, they come home from school. Uh, maybe something's not right with, with one of them. I, I can tell that they're, they're down. And, and so often, it's because of a conflict with a friend at school. I mean, even my young kids are having that issue already. But I'll ask about it, and it's like, oh... So-and-so wasn't nice to me today. And I realized that at that moment, that is beginning to define their identity. And so I, I get down on my knee, or I sit on the edge of the coffee table or wherever we are, but so that we can be eye to eye. And so often they are looking down, and I gently put my hand under their chin and lift it up and say, look daddy in the eye. Daddy loves you. You are okay. It's all right. It's all right. The personal presence of God to David. God lifting David's head saying, David, I love you. You are mine. I am here. I will provide. It's a beautiful declaration of truth. But not only is it beautiful, it is a powerful, powerful profession of faith. This is a profession of faith, I hope, That we will take home. I hope that we will put on. You're a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. And so what David does here in Psalm 3 is he puts on this profession of faith like a diver puts on his scuba gear. Okay, I am no scuba expert by any stretch. I am not even certified. However, I have gone scuba diving a couple of times just not in this country because I'm not certified in this country. I remember very clearly the first time that I went scuba diving. I was a teenager with a bunch of friends and family. We were in Mexico and just didn't have the same certification standards, so they took my money, invited me into a classroom, and I had to have a 30-minute course on scuba diving. The guy spoke perfect English. I understood everything that he said, I don't remember it now, but I, 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 I got the gist of it, and I'm like, come on, let's put on the wetsuit, and let's go. So my, my buddies and I, we, we get on the boat. I mean, you know, it's a small boat. There's a captain. There's just a few crew, I think maybe three other guys. So we're, we're on this boat. The boat goes out in the ocean, stops in the middle of the ocean, uh, and, and the crew comes around, and they start helping us, you know, put on our, our oxygen tank and our, our mask, our regulator, our fins, our flippers, and we're all seated on the side and the back of that boat. I'm starting to get a little anxious, but that's okay because I can see the crew coming around with the final instructions. And then the crew member gets in front of me, he leans in, he looks through my mask into my eyes and starts giving me final instructions. Problem is, he's only speaking Spanish and I do not speak Spanish. (laughs) So my anxiety level is going up. The fear is setting in. I begin asking questions. Too late. He pushes. <laughs> I go in backwards, and it is, it is as clear as if it happened yesterday. I remember looking up and seeing that the surface of the water was above me, and I could see the clouds and the sun and thought, this is the end of my life. I'm underwater. I cannot breathe. And so for that moment, I I panicked. (gasps) And then I realized I was breathing. (laughs) I shouldn't have been able to do that, but I could. I could because of what I had on. Because of what I was wearing, I was able to breathe. Now, David, he doesn't get pushed overboard. David, he puts on his gear and he jumps Overboard. He jumps in wearing his profession of faith, hoping that his fear will be drowned by the truth and that he can breathe freely in faith. Verse 4, he cries out, he cries out to the Lord, walking by faith, not by sight. This does not make sense to me, Lord. I cry out to you. What is David doing? David is praying through his fear. David is praying through his fear and finds that he is able to breathe. And so what's the result? What happens when he prays? Well, the Lord answers, and then we see how this unfolds for him, verses 5 and 6. I can just imagine him writing this. I lay down, and not only that, but I slept. I lay down and slept, and I awoke. I woke again for the Lord. It was the Lord who sustained me. David's heart receives peace. He receives rest, sleep. God brings him through the night, and he says it here, brings him through the night again, sustains him. It's a repeated action again and again, day after day. And fear, fear is replaced with confidence. But not confidence in himself, confidence in his God. Confidence in a good, powerful, caring, faithful God. Now note his circumstance. His circumstance does not change, but his heart does change. His heart changes, and Dave, David is able to trust God in the face of betrayal and heartache and the very real threat of death. And if you read on in Second Samuel, you'll see that he will eventually rest in this same peace, walk in this same trust during a great season of grief, grieving for him, when he mourns the death of his son. The death of his son, Absalom, whom he loves, despite Absalom's betrayal. So David sees his fear. And David believes God's faithfulness. And that brings us to our third and final point. Third, what David prays. Verses 7 and 8 hear these again. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David sees his fear. David believes God's faithfulness. And here, David prays God's deliverance. He prays God's deliverance. Save me, oh my God. Save me. This is the cry. Back in verse 4 when he said, I cried aloud to the Lord. Okay, this is what he cried out. This is the prayer from verse 4. And this cry to the Lord, it's both a confession and a declaration. It's a confession of human inadequacy. Frailty, also a declaration of God's sufficiency and strength. Asking God to do what I cannot do. Asking God to do what only he can do. Now keep in mind the context for David. Keep in mind that David's circumstance is rebellion against God's king and his kingdom. And thus the emphatic one-two punch At the end of verse 7. Because armies have risen up. They are rebelling against God's chosen king. And he prays that they would be thoroughly defeated. It breaks his heart to pray that against his son. But no one is to come against the kingdom of God. And so he prays that they will be defeated. Only God can deliver David. And regardless of the circumstance, only God can deliver you. Because as you read on in 2 Samuel, you'll see that David will continue to have armies against him. Continue up until the very day that he dies. But David will also continue to see beyond his circumstance, into his heart continuing to pray through his fear. And so he writes, he prays Psalm 3. Now, it's important for us to know, important for us to realize that Psalm 3 is not a one-and-done kind of prayer. Okay, it's not that we should hear it today, figure it out, pray it now or go home and pray it and then just move on. That there will be no more fear No, this is rather a pattern for prayer, one to be repeated. You know, in particular, verse 3, a pattern for rooting ourselves in the truth of the gospel, clothing ourselves, putting on truth. And this whole, the whole of Psalm 3, is a pattern for, for continued, growing dependence on God. Now, we know it's a continual prayer, because why else would the rest of the Psalms be needed? I mean, not that all of them are cries for deliverance or mercy. Not all of them are, but many are. Also, we see David himself admit in this prayer that he has experienced God's sustaining grace again, awakening him again and again. David is continually praying Psalm 3, and so should we. So, where are you in Psalm 3? Where are you? What are you afraid of? What is causing, or more accurately, what is exposing fear in your heart? Angst, anxiety, irritation. What's causing you irritation? What's causing you? Discontent, discouragement, restlessness. What's exposing the fear? Do you see? Do you see the fear beneath the fear? Your fear that God is not good enough, powerful enough, caring enough to bring you through your circumstance. Do you see your fear that God will not provide what you need? He might take you so far, but but he's not gonna, he's not gonna deliver you. Do you see that fear? Brothers and sisters, don't believe the lie. See your fear and see your God. Look to him and believe in him even in the midst of unbelief and cry out to him pray through your fear your circumstance may be different for each of us the circumstance may be different but your need of God's salvation deliverance remains the same and the answer to your need to my need, to David's need, is exactly the same. The ultimate answer to our every prayer, when we, verse 4, when we cry aloud to the Lord, is that He answers, that God answers us from His holy hill. David knew the hill is Mount Zion. He knew the hill is Mount Zion where the tabernacle was, the place of sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin salvation for sinners and we know the hill is calvary where the cross of christ stood where jesus died as our substitute a sacrifice for sins salvation for sinners and knowing the answer knowing jesus we can learn, really learn, to pray through our fear. Save me, oh my God, save me. Let's pray. We do pray that now, this day. Arise, O oh Lord, and save us, oh my God. We come to you and we ask that you would help us to see. To see beyond our circumstance. To see into our hearts. To see the fear. The fear beneath the fear. And then to believe. Even in the midst of our unbelief. To believe and in believing to see you. And then Lord would you move us to pray. And trusting dependence on you. The only one who can save. And we thank you that you do fully and finally in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.